podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. It is myself, Toby Tarrant. It is Stephen Finn, who has played not one, not two, but three different cricket matches in the past week, which we will talk about in a few moments' time. And we are joined by Daniel Norcross as well. And if you missed last week's podcast, well, you picked a good podcast to miss because it was disgusting, frankly. There was lots of talk of gum infections. There was lots of talk of various different ailments and illnesses. And there was probably, in hindsight, too much feces for one podcast. I think it's fair to say there was a lot of feces quite literally being thrown around the place. I promise it will be a higher brow affair this week. However, Mm. I should point out that in our WhatsApp group, before we started recording, Daniel Norcross did message us saying, I've got some great gum pus chat for tonight if you want it. Now, Dan, I I was hoping that it was going to be a classier affair this week, Uh but I can't walk past a WhatsApp that says, I've got great gum pus chat if you want it and ignore it. So come on, what's going on with your gum pus? And that, by the way, is a question I never want to ask again. Gum pus, indeed. Um, so I've hurled myself at, at the rest- restoration of my gums. So having been given the fear, regular listeners will know, I've decided that there's nothing to do except come go straight at it. And being a classy kind of dude, um, I've been referred to Harley Street, in a beautiful, beautiful house, by the way. I wonder if it's one that's mentioned in Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility, which I'm currently reading. Uh, never read Jane Austen before. Fascinating. Anyway, there's a house in Harley Street that's mentioned. And in this place is one of the great dentists. R.W. Perio, if you're listening, I thoroughly recommend it. The gum specialists. They give you a choice of music. I sort of thought about Trout Mask Replica by Captain Beefheart, but in the end decided that if someone's going to actually dig away at the inside of my gums, I might go for something a bit more soothing. So I chose Mozart and the bit from 2001 A Space Odyssey and then realised that that actually was giving me the massive fear as literally this woman gouged. She went, for a start, she used a wand, she called it a wand, to numb my face. It was just an amazing thing, actually. These tiny little pricks. And then suddenly, my face is completely like numbed without it really hurting. And then she went under my gums, right into the inside, and started scooping out gunge. Oh, oh I know. Oh. And ordinarily, this would horrify me. But strangely enough, to the background music of the Mozarty bit from 2001, and... Like the fact that this gungy stuff, which I did ask to look at at one point, yeah, 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 <laughs> and is then sucked away. It's like, oh, that's why things have been a bit sore for a while. Honestly, I urge you all to have your gum pus dealt with because <laughs> underneath those gums, there's some serious shit going down. I mean, sorry to bring that back up again. It's not actually literally serious. Yeah, yeah. Shit. It's, it's got an unusual odour that's slightly oh. different from normal pus. Right. Anyway, um, that's that's the gum pus. But you have to go deep. You have to go really deep. You have to lift it out and go in and yank it out and then back go the gums. 
And um, strangely enough, within three hours, all I felt was deeply perturbed as opposed to in absolute agony. So it's worth doing. But, right. Well, I've got a couple I, of questions yeah. to Finney off the back of this before we, before we carry on. First of all, Finney... I've got a philosophical question I need to ask okay. after all this. Okay. We'll come back to your philosophical question. Finney, first of all, you've got... I think you've got a decent set of gnashes, haven't you? A decent set of pearls. Have you... Have they taken much maintenance, much much sort of plastic surgery? Uh, yeah, they have, actually. I... Um... When I was, I think, nine years old, so my adult teeth had just grown. Or whenever your adult teeth have just grown, I was in junior school. And I had skinned a, a kid on the playground. His name was Bazir Ghalib. <laughs> I skinned him a couple of step-overs and, um, and went around him. And he tripped me up, and I landed face first Oof. into a bench. You've never forgotten um, this guy, have you? You've never forgotten no, him? No, no, no. I've not seen him since either, so I'm, I'm waiting for the day. Don't worry. And, and, and I bashed up my nose. So that's why I've got a lump in my nose. Um, and I also lost my two front teeth in the process. Um, they're forever lost on the playground at Casterbury Junior School. But I remember the phone call going to my mum. And my mum blamed me for it because I had my hands up my sleeves. Like I, I used to run around with my hands up my sleeves like that. Because I think a few of the footballers at the time wore long sleeve tops and had their hands up them. And it was my fault, apparently, that I got tripped up and ended face first in a bench. Um, and then from that day, I've had I had caps to begin with. And I used to love these, um, you know, wham bars. Do you remember wham bars? Oh, yeah. Like, like the long, thin, sticky sweets. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a lad on my bus called Junior who used to actually make an absolute killing. He'd buy them for Tempe from the corner shop. And he would sell them for 20p to everyone at school. Why is, there's always that one kid in every British school who's like an entrepreneur yeah. from the age of about seven selling sweets for profit. You've got to exactly. ask the question, why didn't you just buy them for 10p from the shop? <laughs> uh, it was easier. It, it was easier to get them from Junior. Well, to be fair, actually, Junior would go to the shop and he'd clean the shop out. So there was no supply. Oh, there were no, so right. yeah. Fucking genius. There's always that yeah. one kid. Yeah, absolute genius. He's like basically um, Gonch Gardner from Grain Chill. That's for the uh, that's for the younger viewers out there. <laughs> the younger ones. <laughs> um, and and there are a few times where I'd take a bite out of this sweet, and my two caps would just end up on the sweet. So there'd be these two teeth on the wham bar, and um, I've got two little black stumps under there now because I've had root canal treatment on both of them. And then when I played for England, obviously, if you look at my first few like England photos, you'll see there's like big black gaps where the cap and the tooth and where my gum don't don't sit next to each other. So there's big black marks at the top of my tooth. And then when I played a few test matches after a year or so, I decided I could afford dental implants. And um, and I went down that route on uh, Devonshire Place, which is one street along from Harley Street. So I, I've not quite made it onto Harley Street no. yet. No, I mean, with a bit of life, you do a bit more BT work, you might, you might get onto Harley Street. Uh, just, <laughs> since, since we're talking, since, since we're talking about cricketers and their teeth, and I'm, I'm sorry, Finney, I didn't peruse those pictures of you before you played for England quite as closely as, as perhaps I should have done. But are you, Finney, familiar? Don't say exactly what, but are you familiar with why Ben Folks has got the most beautiful teeth in the world? Uh, I, I think I am, yes. Right, because so, you see, I wasn't familiar with it when I, I had a fairly disastrous uh, day comparing the end of Surrey 
2017, I think, um, season. And I introduced folks and said, you know, this is the man who's got, because we were doing this little, you know, Q&A along with other players. And he's got the most fantastic teeth in cricket. They really are incredible. Tell me, Ben, how did you come by these most phenomenally magnificent teeth? And then he explained exactly why, which was that he was in the back of a car that crashed and he flung through between the two front seats and face-planted the gear stick. Oh, I know. Can you imagine? I mean, and he, being Ben folks, he just said it in this really matter of fact way. What, what was what was the mood of the room at this point as uh, he started well, to regale people with this it was tragic unclear. story? The, the the mood of Daniel Norcross was one of horrified embarrassment because I should clearly not have not have brought back a dreadful childhood trauma for Ben folks, <laughs> <laughs> which he was sharing with the, this entire room, utterly without artifice. Just explaining exactly what happened. And he'd just gone zunk and he smashed his front teeth out. And as a result, he's got some fantastic teeth. But, but this is, this oh. is the key. <laughs> this is the key. You know, my, my teeth are pretty good. But yeah. if I, you know, if I got tripped over by Gazeel, what was his name, Finney? Basically. If he had tripped me over, I'd been in a car with Ben Folks and I crashed. I have fucking excellent teeth. They, you don't realise how lucky yeah. you've got it sometimes. Honestly, uh, it's, it's, that's, that's the thing with this, Bob. Anyway, and, and, I need an to... An old gum pus over here. Ever since he's had a gum infection, his teeth have never looked better. By the way, the nickname yeah. old gum pus is fun to say. <laughs> right. Anyway, so now, ask us this question. Come on. Now I'm going to ask you the philosophical question. As, weirdly enough, Graham Fowler's wife writhes on the floor underneath me right now, trying to avoid being in shot. Sorry, I need, things I've I need ever to seen in my life. Right. I, need to, I need to recap. Being in shot. Hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> she does smell nice. Anyway. But seriously, <laughs> where, no, but seriously, I need, I need to paint a picture for our, our listeners who I appreciate can't see the Zoom call. Where did she come from, Norcross? She, because she literally, she, I never saw her come into the room, but she no, just no, appeared from below your you way. You wouldn't have seen her. I commandoed under so that I wasn't in shot. Well, I commandoed under. And that's why I said there's this really strange thing happening near me because there was a sort of giant writhing blonde worm <laughs> that had gone to go and collect some more wine from the fridge. <laughs> By the way, Tony, could you... Tony wanted me to bring this in. Yes, and can you ask Tony to come in before long? Okay. Uh, Let's see if he's up for it. Now, again, summon Jeremy Coney. (laughs) I need to explain. In the latest game of which ex-cricketer is sleeping in Norcross's house this time, the latest on the list, for those of you playing along at home, is Jeremy Coney. So Jeremy Coney is currently sleeping on Norcross's sofa. Why does he... No, 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 no. I've I've put a a whole bed out for him. In the the, the study, I've I've made up a bed. It's all very nice. That's because because Monday Zondecki's on the sofa. All hands, yeah. He's he's uh, he's, he's on the sofa, and, uh, and it's 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 funny you should mention that. Yeah, John Tricos is uh, sleeping on the balcony. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, the Cabarelli's in the pantry. This is like the shittest game of Cluedo I've ever played in my life. Anyway, Ooh, what's this philosophical fucking question? So this is a philosophical question that I've thrown by Jeremy Coney just now. Uh, largely because it turns out that Graham Fowler's wife, Sarah, whom you've just met, is implacably opposed to cannibalism, right? <laughs> Whereas I'm a massive fan, so it's oh. weird. 
I wouldn't say that I'm a fan. It's just that I, I don't I don't quite share the doctrinaire Kantian sort of certainty around it. You know, mm. having watched Yellow Jackets among other things and and various programs, I, I you know I do think that in the event of your plane crash landing in the Great Sandy Desert and people can't get out to see you, you probably would have to start cannibalising and you'd begin with first class and work your way through business and then into the people who got the etc etc. But while thinking about cannibalism, which you do, obviously, uh, I obviously try to imagine what is the point at which a human being is at its most tasty. And looking at the way that people eat, like other animals, like sheep and cow, as a general rule, they're at their most tasty around a 14th of their life expectancy, right? So very early on in their existence, pre-adolescence, puppy fat. All this sounds an awful lot like you're basically about to say, if I was going to eat a human, I'd eat a baby. That's, well, where, that's where this is heading towards. Well, now, now you see, you might think that's where it's heading. And it sort of is, but it sort of isn't. So what I want to put to the assembled throng, and I, I mean you, Toby, and you, Finney, and I want to spread it out to the wider Zero Ducks given community. All four of us. So let's say you are given a time machine. And you have two options. You're going to meet Hitler, aged three years old, right? You've got two options. You can either let Hitler live and the resultant catastrophe occurs, mm -hmm. or you eat Hitler. Mm. Now, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to delegate this to, to the star of the podcast, Mr. Stephen Finn. Finney, you go back in time. Are you going to eat baby You've Hitler? <laughs> I mean, this is fucking grotesque conversation, isn't it, really? <laughs> no, you can't delegate on me. You're the one who runs this fucking shit show. You deal with it. So, Toby, where do you stand? Do you, do you eat baby Hitler or do you let him live and kill all of those millions of people? Can I, can I prepare him so that he's tasty? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can eat him any way you want. You can have a Michelin-starred chef. You yeah, can have yeah, a whole yeah. lot. You, you, I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. Then I eat him. Then I eat, you eat him. him, don't you? Yeah. Can I can you I just say that I saw the funniest tweet I've seen in a very long time this weekend because Michael Owen, the football pundit, who pretty much every fan is in agreement, is is very dull and a terrible, terrible pundit. He <laughs> tweeted he tweeted something out over the weekend, and a man replied to him and said, "Michael, if I was stuck on a desert island with you and a tin of corned beef." I'd eat you and talk to the corned beef. <laughs> Which is my favourite put-down I've ever, I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, I hate corned beef, and I imagine Michael Owen might have some tasty bits. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I'm in agreement. <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm glad we covered that. And but, it's but, Finney, but Finney, now, now that Toby's had the guts to answer that question, mm. are you eating Hitler or are you letting him live? Well, I'd imagine you probably, for the good of humanity, have to eat him. Coney's arrived, and Coney actually didn't answer the question when it was put to him. Mm. He, we, we, we asked the philosophical conundrum, if you've got a time machine, do you go back and eat three-year-old Hitler, or do you let him live? <laughs> you, you eat him, he says. You eat yeah, him. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I look, I, I, yeah. Jeremy Coney's initials are not JC for no reason. Well, you exactly. know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Go back to save humanity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Typical of him.
Um, now, we need to move on to cricket at some point. You know, we I do need to move on to cricket. We could yeah. extol the virtues of cannibalism as much as the next guy, but we do need to move on to cricket. Now, I don't want to pester your guest, Jeremy Coney, but would now be a good time or does he want to go and have another drink on the sofa? I don't know. Would now be a good time to do a bit of a New Zealand preview for 10 minutes? Oh, yes. Could you could you pull that door open because it'll keep going beep for a while? No, no. Yeah, the one ne- yeah, next to you. No, next one. The one next to you on the left. That's it. Pull it out. There, it'll stop going beep now. That's the dishwasher for, <laughs> for fans of people <laughs> who like dishwashers. <laughs> you laugh, but we've done a lot of dishwasher chat on this podcast in the past. You've done, done- you've done great work. Come and join us, Jeremy. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, joining us before, before he has to do numerous things for the BBC. We travel, you know that, Stephen, going to New Zealand. That's how far we are away. Look at him. He's looking pretty good, isn't he? Look, he's moved to Sussex. He's trimmed down. Hey, look at that. That's what overs do to you. Like hell, he's played about one game. And he's only got the first innings to bowl in. Because <laughs> they were beaten and the other, they were beaten so easily. What? Come on. It's disturbing how much joy you take in that, Jeremy. Oh, I know, well... <laughs> Look at him. What's that? What, is that an earring sticking out of his? What's that? No, no, no. That's a, that's my headphones. Oh, you the do, earrings you do long have an earring. You do have no, an no, earring. No, That's Bluetooth. I have the hole for an earring. This is the I, new idea of Bluetooth. The same, that there should be something, some Bluetooth washing machine, shouldn't there? Should, don't you think? Bluetooth might make it down work? to New Zealand at some stage soon. Hey? <laughs> Bluetooth might make it down to New Zealand at some stage soon. Oh, thank you so much. No, we, we prefer cannons. We don't worry about <laughs> watches or anything like that. We, we, we use sort of smoke signal and flags. <laughs> no, nothing like that at all. Yeah. Anyway, New Zealand, they're here. They're here, Steve. What do you think? Well, I saw them firsthand last week and they looked um, pretty damn good, to be honest. They played against Sussex in a warm-up game. Oh, yeah, the two um, days. No, yeah, the two days. Day. Yeah, they batted very well. Um, and then the bowlers got some miles in their legs. They were without Southie, Bolt, all of their IPL contingent. But, yeah, I mean, New Zealand are, are an outstanding cricket team. And the, the bigger that their squad grows, the better they get. Well, they didn't go so well in the second game, did they? Not quite so well. They got Ben Compton. Ben Compton <laughs> with another century. Unbelievable. They got Ben Compton against a, a good attack, the likes of Carl Jameson and people playing. They got Ben Compton. But let me ask you as well, Jeremy, whilst we got you here, and thank you for joining us, and I'm sorry that you have to spend some of your time in this country at Shea Norcross. But um, I want to ask you about the new coach of the England Red Bull setup, Brendan McCullum, as somebody who, who's watched him a lot, knows him well. What can we expect from him? What sort of dressing room is he going to harbour for these England boys? Um, and I'm a, sorry to hit you with a big question when you've literally just landed off a plane as well. No, that's all right. Um, <laughs> I, I would say Brendan has, as I was saying to Daniel just a, a bit earlier, I think he would have interviewed pretty well. <laughs> and if I could compare uh, his interview with, say, oh, the South African opener, you know, yep. uh, quiet and reserved and... Lots of pauses, whereas Brendan is straight in and quite, you know, he's 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 just very enthusiastic. He's you cannot take. Um, 
I don't think you could, if you were someone like Strauss and those other people who were in key, who were choosing and selecting the guy, I don't think you could take his Red Bull coaching seriously as a history because he hasn't had any. That's the first thing. Mm. I mean, most of New Zealand were pretty surprised, to be honest. Um, they thought if he was going to bother to, uh, you know, apply for the job, then it would have been for white ball cricket because he's been a franchise gig man. And that's it. And only that since he's retired. So to go into the Red Bull was something a wee bit different. I think he would have interviewed, as I say, pretty well and differently from some of the others. Secondly, they have to go on him as a player. I don't think, what else have they got? Mm. they got nothing else to go from. And mm. if we look at him as a Red Bull player, I think you would say he is going to be a man who encourages people to, you know, in a slightly in the vernacular, to go for it, to play their shots, to have a crack. You know, uh, I guess positive, a horrible phrase. Anyway, and to play with a smile on their face, uh, to enjoy their game, uh, to be themselves as much as they can be, all those kinds of phrases. Uh, it, in fact, it is the opposite of what we have kind of in some ways seen in the past few years from England. From me as an outsider, you will know more, Steve, than I do. And, and uh, but... You know, that's exactly what he took, a team that was slightly frightened in New Zealand, slightly afraid, uh, played against South Africa, all out 45 in the first test matches he was captain. Uh, there was an ugly kind of coup that he had taking over, you know, the captaincy of, of Taylor at the time, uh, Messi, uh, and yet turned the whole thing around. Mm. And and that's for fact. Mm. He 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 seems to have that's his ability. That's what England are really going to get. They're not going to get a coach. He's not going to coach England. That'll be the guy. This is how you hold the bat. This is how you hold the ball. This is how you. He will encourage them as people and as players to be as as good as they can be. Now some people respond to that, and I do think that as a general comment. You need damn good players if you're going to play positively. Mm. Have England got those yet? I'm not sure. I mean, we were lucky in New Zealand then when we had Bolt, Southey and Williamson join the team mm. exactly at that phase when he became captain. Mm. And strangely enough, as, as I sit here now, I'm just thinking that might be an issue for New Zealand in these, this test series. It'll be Bolt and Southey and Williamson because the rest weren't with uh, Brendan McCullum so much. But they will feel, you know, Brendan watching them. Mm. They'll be the ones that look closely in his eye, you know, across mm. the two dugouts, if you like. And I hope they don't get caught up in a... We will be more positive than you, more attacking than you can, Brendan. Look, we can have six slips and three gullies, and we'll swing it as hard as we can, and we'll drag it down and as quick as we can. 
you don't want to make it into a competition. These guys have to realize they've changed as players. Now they're in a different scenario and they can, they are, they're their own men now. And so that was a phase they went through and they've changed. I want to ask you about what you think about this New Zealand side, though, because you were here a year ago. New Zealand won the World Test Championship at the AGS Bowl. And I remember asking you, is this the best New Zealand team there's ever been? And you were a little bit equivocating about it. You said, oh, I'm not 100% sure they're necessarily the best well, team. Well, it was our team. Well, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. it's in the Headley, UK. Yeah. Headley and co. Headley and all those guys. John Wright and co. Yeah. But this, this team, um, has it reached its peak? And is it on its way down? And uh, England, have, have they got a chance on their home surfaces to to kind of ambush a side that perhaps is is breathing weird and thin air. You know, they're they're the best team in the world according to the rankings. They're the best team in the world according to the World Test Championship. But are they the best team in the world? Well, they're not the best team in the world. I think Aussie are at the moment, aren't they, in terms of the rankings? Uh, I think they're certainly up there. But are they over the crest? Probably I suspect they are. I, you guys probably don't follow that. It's a long way away to follow games in New Zealand. They they lost a game to Bangladesh uh, and then won the next one at home. And then they played South Africa. By the way, watch out for South Africa. Watch out for their bowling lineup, by the way. Um, they are serious bowlers. Uh, and um, I and we won the first test match comfortably and lost the second. So we've had two wins and two draws over New Zealand, which is most unusual for this particular group. So, and the way that and the manner in which they lost the games, we found that, well, I found that New Zealand were requiring to be uh, dangerous with their bowlers, the conditions had to be more and more narrow in other words for them to be successful they had to have quite green pitches more grass than you'd see at the back of Woodstock Festival you know they they really um they they need those sorts of conditions to do well if it's a bit drier than that underneath and the ball doesn't do so much instead of being uh, a, a B or a C road here in, in England. It's, you know, and it suddenly they find that it's, it's a motorway and the ball isn't nibbling and it isn't doing much and it isn't swinging much. Then they struggle a bit. And they're also, like all of us, getting a bit older. Wagner's now 36. Wagner is a very, has been a really important this is getting bloody serious, isn't know, it? <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's getting uh, uh, dull also. Um, so um, Never, never. No, but Wagner's now 36, and instead of getting the ball up around chin and, and chest high, it's kind of coming to midriff, and guys are pulling him, you know? So it hasn't quite got the nip, and that's all the other guys too, Saudi included. You know, uh, Bolt didn't play much last year. Only played two two test matches out of the time that we've in the last season, because he was away at IPL and having kids and all that sort of stuff. So um, I, I don't include him in that. Uh, but you know, our bowling, 
Look, look, let's face it, guys. Both teams, actually, when you look at the attacks, with all the wood and co and stone and, you know, Archer and Wokes and all, and co, all out, mm. they're actually quite one-dimensional bowling attacks. Mm. Yeah. You know, right arm, similar pace. Yes, you can bowl from a different line from over the wicket. I agree. But they are, aren't they? Yeah, uh, and it will be interesting to see what pitches they put out because you mentioned, you know, your guys suiting a green pitch and a swinging pitch and the England bowlers do as well. So do we negate New Zealand, but then we're negating our own bowlers as well. So it will be interesting to see what go. the pitches play like and, in the next few weeks. And it's the same thing if you choose a different ball. Yes, exactly, yeah. You go yeah. backwards and you pick out one of those special dark green, horror, greeny, ready thing that's in the horrible bottom of the bag and, and it smells and, and you sniff out the grease in it, you know, and then go and fix the hub in the car. Are you still and talking about the balls? Are you talking about Zadie Norcross? It's elevating. It's wonderful. You know? and, 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 yeah, I mean, it's going to be the same because they're similar bowling attacks. Mm. It's going to suit both. Mm. So I think it's actually quite an interesting series. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind Brendan will get slightly more out of the team than we've seen from England. And so we it, it could be a fascinating series, I think. Yeah, you know? it's all it's all set up beautifully with McCullum coming back in his first series against New Zealand. And as you say, they've essentially they've invested in McCullum the personality rather than the CV, because there is no CV to speak of. So it's shaping up very nicely. Now, before we let yeah, Jeremy go, minute, because he's jet-lagged just, and he wants a mat large wine, Norcross, I, what would you like to ask Jeremy? I mean, the, the, just briefly, I thought, I, does he really think that Brendan McCullum's in for the long haul? Or isn't it just like what the ECB's decided to do is to troll? So they're going to get Brendan McCullum in to be the head honcho for those three tests for this very reason. It's exactly as Jeremy said, you know, New Zealand are going to turn up and they're going to go, oh, oh my God, do we have to be like more like ourselves? And then they'll fire Brendan McCullum after three games, bring in Ravi Shastri to be chief coach, head coach for the one game against um, India, and then fire him and then get Gary Kirsten in for the South Africa series. Because it's quite clear that England, English cricket has lost all faith in any of its coaches and is now just looking abroad to annoy other countries. Is that fair to say? What do you think, Funny? <laughs> I think, he's, I think he's. I think he's talking as much shit as he usually does. That's, Jeremy, that's actually what I was about to say too. I've yeah. got to, I, I actually feel as if I'm underlined. You know, you've underlined what I. Fantastic! Yeah. That was great. I can put it in Are bold. Are you sure you're can... paying this man for me to doing saying these things? We're not. Paid for this. I think he'll yeah. be there. For, I think he'll be there for the four years. Actually, I think it will help New Zealand because by four years, four years time from now, all those. Players will have gone from New Zealand. He'll have learned things and he'll go back, hopefully home, down to South Dunedin and he'll say, time to pay back now. You gave me the chance. Now it's, now it's my turn to give back to New Zealand and we will need him at that stage. I agree. I think it's written in the stars. He surely has to take over the New Zealand job at some point in the future. And he's basically cutting his teeth, which is quite a, quite a good signal of where English cricket is at, that he's using England probably as a stepping stone. Yeah, well, uh, don't Jer forget Jer Daniel Vittori. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, his, his appointment in Australia. Mm. And don't forget Stephen Fleming. 
because mm. he's been in the, the the franchise gig for a long time now, and he might be available pretty much. They are now starting to kind of just quietly come into the T20. They were all there at the T20 World Cup as well in Dubai. Yeah, they're going to be like Scottish football managers in the 90s and slowly take over. Jeremy, thank you so much, mate. Absolute pleasure. Bagger off and serve you. Know? <laughs> no, go, go and enjoy a very large this white wine. This whole podcast. Man. Oh, who's listening to it? Is Nobody. Yeah. His, his name is Jack. Point. He's the person who's living to, listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> now, we've done England, New Zealand there in detail, so let's move on to more important cricketing matters, oh, which yeah. is the return to a cricket pitch of Mr. Stephen Finn this week. So, Finney, how's the body feeling after three games in three days? It's, it, from a cricket perspective, it's feeling, it's feeling good, but the social media video doing the rounds of me taking a tumble over the boundary board or the advertising just behind the sight screen is, uh, is what's caused me most grief. I think I've got whiplash from it. I can't really move my left shoulder or my thoracic spine. Um, Your thoracic of, spine. Yeah, because of how I landed. I like landed I mean, on my imp- neck and twisted and yeah, it wasn't, but it wasn't that, all that pleasant. That's quite important, isn't it? I mean, I would have thought the thoracic spine is quite a significant part of the whole body for doing like vigorous exercise. Is that is that not correct? Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I played yesterday and I bowled all right again, but yeah, I, I was a little bit stiff. It's fair. How'd you get say. on? So, what, were, um, what were your figures? Uh, what, two for 28 off three. Bold one in the power play and then two at the death. So, you know, just trying my hardest for the team. But yeah, we got our first win as well of the season Sweet. on Sunday uh, against Kent, the reigning champions of the T20. Um, they had a very good team, actually, as well. Oh, did they? Um, Where did Zach Crawley go? But, uh, oh, he got out, caught Rizwan Bold Finn, actually. Yeah. It wasn't a very good delivery. It was a, <laughs> it was a half, not a half track. It was meant to be back of a length straight and... It followed him and he, he sort of tried to pull it and gloved it down the leg side to Rizwan, who took, well, I, because Rizwan's also about five strangle. foot three. He had to jump full stretch to um, to reach it. Coney's pissing himself laughing here. You're basically, you, you strangled him down the leg side with what? No, 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 it's better than yeah. that. Look at the video. It's better than a strangle down the leg side. Thank you very much, Coney. <laughs> <laughs> I should mention to people that, don't worry, the video of Stephen Finn going arse over tit over the advertising hoardings will be on Twitter and Instagram at Zero Ducks Pod. Um, I want to talk about the first game of the three games, actually, Finney, because unbelievably, I was following the scorecard. I was, you know, I saw your name on the team sheet. I thought, here we go. You bowled one over at the start. You took a wicket. Admittedly, you also went for 13 runs in that over. And then we never saw you again. You never bowled again, despite taking a wicket. Don't they know they've signed Stephen Finn, the strike bowler here at Sussex? That's what you do. Well... Yeah, the, the the game situation just didn't dictate that um, Ravi Bapara wanted me to bowl again. It's a, Jeremy Cohn looks like a cartoon sticking his head around the door <laughs> behind Daniel Norcross's bald head. Um, and <laughs> no, it was um, it, yeah, I I um, I was ready to bowl and willing to bowl, but um, but wasn't required. Uh, and we ended up losing the game. But yeah, my first two deliveries of the T20 Blast went four and then six. And then luckily the third one was a wicket. So that's the nature of the game, unfortunately. It's, it's, a, got... it's a story of your cricketing knife, though, isn't it, Finney? I mean, basically, you've got, one of the, you've got one of the great, great strike rates of any cricketer to have taken over 100 wickets, right? And you just, you go for a few runs. I mean, 13 every six balls or so. But you take a wicket every six balls. I mean... 
surely i mean that's 130 all out if everybody did that in 10 overs i mean that's like what what, what is it that coaches can't see in your method your method is by a wicket you know well, and- uh, fuck off <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to give you the the um, the dignity of a response there, wanker. I mean, you, you'd take you'd take four for fifty-two in four overs every day, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. I don't know. We had this discussion the other day. I'm not sure I would. I'd rather have none for. I mean, well, if you'd have watched me in the second game, I bowled uh, four overs, two for fourteen. I think it was. You know, I, I would rather go for fourteen runs in four overs than concede fifty odd. Of course, you would. yeah. And and a and a screamer of a catch. I'm told, Finney, talk us a through worldie. it. A worldie. I was. Yeah, it was. Just saw the ball go up to my left-hand side at long off. And in the corner of the ground at Bristol, there are um, there are practice wickets. And they're obviously hard because they're the practice wickets. And as I was running towards them, I saw the ball just landing perfectly in the middle of those wickets. But I had to dive to get the catch. So I was sort of mid-air diving in anticipation of my knees and um, elbows hitting the ground and getting big grazes on them. So, yeah, I, I'm lucky that I caught it in the end, actually. And, but I also ended up with grazes on both my knees and both my elbows, which now every time I'm in the shower, sting like hell. Do you want to show us? Do you want to, like, stand up and um, t- t- pull your trousers I'll down? I'll show you my elbow one. ones. Yeah, let's, let's I mean, you'd love that, wouldn't you? You'd yeah. stick a thermometer on my bum as well. Or something. Yeah, yeah, ideally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Norcross does look like one of those doctors that no matter what ailment you went to him with, he'd tell you to take your trousers off. <laughs> yes. Oh, hello. Trousers down, pants off, please. This is a, very a bit of flesh moment. coming out. Oh, it's not very good. Oh, it? come off it. That is the <laughs> most pathetic. <laughs> Fucking hell. That's basically... Look at, hang on. You've basically got two guitar plectrum-sized grazes on each um, elbow. I mean... Oh, they thought, hurt. I bet oh, I've got... Jesus Christ. I, look at... That's my knee from playing football tonight. That's four times as bad as your little pathetic yeah, grazes. Oh, you've got, sorry, you've got a Nike there. swoosh. You've got a massive Nike swoosh on your leg. Exactly. Jeez. That's like one of those injuries like when my, my nephew will fall over and he'll look at me and it hasn't hurt, but he'll start crying because he wants some attention. Unbelievable. And I think I had so much sympathy for you when you got cracked in the ribs earlier in the season. That, come back when you've got a proper injury. Thanks, Vinny. Um, now, also, in the white ball game, it was... Finally, after I don't know how long, nine years, mm. the IPL came to an end. Daniel Norcross now loves the IPL because they're paying him. You know, have you ever seen that meme going around of the old woman from the end of Titanic where she says, it's been 62 years. That's how it feels like watching the IPL. Goes on forever. Yes. I don't care who wins. I don't care who's playing. But I still put it on because it's cricket. Yes. The Gujarat Titans won by seven wickets. No one gives a shit. No one even knows who the teams are. All you care about is watching the game and whether there's going to be any good individual skill. And we should mention Josh Butler squeezed in one final century this week. It's the second most amount of runs of a player ever in a single IPL campaign. By the way, it puts into perspective how good that Virat Kohli season that's at top must have been, considering it felt like every time I turned the TV on, Josh Butler was getting 100 and he still fell about 70 runs short of Veracoli's record. It puts it in perspective. Daniel, now yes. as now that you're being paid by the LP, IPL, yes. anything you'd like to report on the world's longest, most pointless tournament? Yeah, just to be very clear, because uh, the IPL would come after me if I claimed to be paid by the IPL, but I do get paid because the IPL is on by a different organisation altogether. J- just to clear that up. 
it was an astounding, it was an astounding season for Joss Butler. And you bear in mind that he had a serious form slump that made commentators doubt his ability because he didn't really get out of single figures for about two and a half weeks. So he really was nail-bitingly close to beating Virat Kohli. If two of those games he got half centuries, he would have got there. He was just streets ahead of everybody else. But there were so many interesting learnings from this IPL. For a start, the new franchises, Gujarat and Lucknow, they had got all the information that they needed from watching IPL seasons from years past, and they packed their sides as really good bowlers. And the, the key lesson to learn from the final as well and from the knockout stages was if you've got a good bowling attack in T20, you will go a long way. Like Obviously, in any one-off game, you can lose. You can lose a knockout game. But to get to the final stages in any T20 tournament, which involves a league, have good bowlers because good bowlers will perform time and time and time again. And good draft Titans, they had great seamers. They had Rashid Khan. I mean, Rashid Khan, just he's worth millions in this format. He's a truly extraordinary bowler. He was the one bowler that Joss Butler didn't have... I'm not going to say he didn't have a clue against, but he didn't. He, he just decided that he would nudge the ball into the onside for a single. He didn't try an outlandish shot at any point because he knew there was no point. There was no point. I mean, this guy is absolutely gun. And he'll bowl those four overs every game you play. So when we all look around and go, well, Joss Butler was the find of that tournament, and he was, and he was absolutely brilliant. If you are going to build a side from scratch, get yourself a five-man bowling attack, and you'll find batters. You'll find batters to score enough runs. Uh, it is just the, the way, and it's really obvious, and it's the way forward. It was a weird tournament generally because the extra two franchises and with COVID and with various players not wanting to play for whatever reason, you know, the lack, lack of Alex Hales, Joe, uh, Jason Roy, um, players pulling out of the tournament because of just way too much bubble life and what have you meant that the talent was spread a bit more thinly, but it was interesting that the sides that, that came brimming to the top were the ones that had the really, really strong bowling attacks yet again. And it was a tournament in which CSK and Mumbai, who have been the, if you like, sort of Manchester United and Liverpool of, of IPL, were dreadful. Absolutely appalling. <laughs> Yeah, It was fun. I mean, it was fun. It was way too long. And the games last way too long. And I'd sick to death of Seat Tyre strategic timeouts. I couldn't give a flying fuck about the Swiggy Instamart moment of the match. There are 19 different prizes for, you know, the person who blinks their eyes most interestingly between balls. Uh, and uh, I, 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 all those bits I couldn't give a shit about. But it was, it, it was a tournament that held my attention for about five of the seven weeks <laughs> <laughs> a pretty good summary really that is one thing that has been driving me nuts recently in in t20 quick cricket that was introduced to be fast paced it feels like these gate games are dragging on and on more and more nowadays the time that's spent setting fields in between balls is the t20 blast how have you found that is it just the ipl because there's so many eyes on it and so much money Cut involved time in 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 vitality blast and it matters yeah, cutoff time. And if you're if you're not in position to bowl the last over by the cutoff time, then you have to have an extra fielder up inside the ring um, for the final amount of 
overs that you um that you don't bowl within the allotted time um so you have to be through the overs quick in the blast and it actually works quite well yeah the much maligned hundred but that was one thing we did learn from it last summer was to to get through the overs quickly and there was a lot of punishments in the hundred for not getting through your overs quickly and it's so infuriating it seems as i think that's one of the reasons i get frustrated with the ipl i try i switch it on whenever i get home around three o'clock and uh I, I, I try and watch a bit, sneak in a bit of cricket if the missus goes out the room and I never see any cricket. Every time I turn on, it's just people pointing around and setting new fields. Basically, um, the thumb topes was, you know, we were commentating a lot of it from the Oval and the gates closed at seven o'clock. So anybody who drove had to leave before seven o'clock to be able to get their car out of the car park. And uh, Finney will know this because he did a couple of games at the Oval. And... Most games ended between three minutes to seven and five past seven. It was absolutely terrifying. They started at three. They were like four hours was most games. Yeah. I mean, that is nonsensical. It is. It's ridiculous. It was one of our main frustrations this year. Um, now, also, it is, and we should probably mention this, a rather large and important weekend in the UK this weekend because it is the... Now, I can never get this right. It's the Platinum Jubilee or something like that. It's one of those Jubilees. The Queen's Platinum Jubilee, 70 years that the incredible Queen Elizabeth II has been on the throne here in Britain. And also last week was our 70th podcast ever. So, you know, in many ways, an equally important day in the British calendar. But there's only one person on this podcast who's ever met the Queen. Um, Norcross might have met, I don't know, Queen Elizabeth I back in the day. But Finney, you met our Liz... Queen Elizabeth II, when you were playing for England. Why, when, what happened? What was she like? What did you talk about? What did you do? Um, it was the 2013 Ashes at Lords. I just found out that I'd been dropped for the game, so I wasn't <laughs> in a fantastic mood. Andy Flower had had a go at me for warming up in trainers instead of spikes because the Australian players would know that I wasn't playing, which they'd know at half past 10 anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I walked out to do the warm-up at quarter past 10 in my um, in my trainers and he shouted at me, said, go and put some fucking spikes on. And I was like, okay, 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 all right. <laughs> I'll go and put some spikes on then, Andy. And then about half an hour later, I was meeting the Queen and we were briefed on how to greet her, how to have a conversation with her. And it's, good morning, mom. And then after she's made an introduction to you say, to say good morning, you then call her your majesty. So yes, your majesty, no, your majesty. And it came down to me and my mind may have been a little bit preoccupied with the fact that I wasn't playing. It was a beautiful summer's day. She was wearing a wonderful dress and I just sort of blurted out Morden to her and that was it. <laughs> and she sort of shook my hand with her, with her little white gloves on and just swiftly moved on to the next person and, uh, yeah, but saying that, it's a good photo that we've got because obviously I'm like six foot eight and she's about four foot 11. Uh, and there's a picture on my mum and dad's, in my mum and dad's hallway that the MCC gave to us actually. Every player got a, a copy of this, of your own photograph um, that the photographer took. It's currently up in my mum and dad's hallway. It's like, Jeff it's like Jefferson and, and Taylor, isn't it? When they used to play together at Leicestershire. Or Finn and Taylor. Or Finn and, or Finn and Taylor, yeah. But I mean, I think, or, I think yeah, Jefferson's or, a little <laughs> bit taller than you. I know you don't like that, but can, can I just just ask because there's a terrific Tommy Cooper anecdote about the Queen. I just want to double check: Were you told that you're not allowed to ask her a question? 
I think from like my vague memories yeah. are yes. Like you, you speak to her, if she speaks to you. If she just wants to move on, you, you don't ask her like, oh, what, what do you have for that? Yeah, you're not allowed to ask the Queen a question. And at the Royal Variety performance, her favourite comic was Tommy Cooper. And Tommy Cooper used to do like the first act of the Royal Variety performance. And then he used to sit in the wings and drink heavily because he, he liked to do that. And then at the end, they'd all be introduced, you know, to all the people at the Royal Variety performance. And she'd go along the line, she'd go, Oh, Bruce, you know, lovely to see you. How's the chin? Blah, blah. And, and all that. And go, Oh, yes, Chaz and Dave, marvelous. Well done. You know, rabbit, rabbit. And then she'd go find Tommy Cooper. And she, she loved Tommy Cooper. She'd say, Oh, Tommy, it's so lovely to see you. And he goes, Your match, is it right if I, if I ask you a question? And she was a bit nonplussed by this because people don't, you know, already he's asked a question. Is it all right if I ask a question? <laughs> and she goes, uh, um, well, yes, yes, you can. So, so she goes, uh, can I ask you, you much? Do, do you like football? And she said, well, I don't, actually, not very much. He said, can I have your cup final ticket? So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a famous story, isn't it? That's great. And, uh, only he would have the balls only, to do that. If only, Finney, you, you'd, you'd done that. Yeah, yeah, and that Tommy Cooper anecdotes the stuff of legend has been passed down for generations I don't know if it's quite going to I don't know if the story of the time that Finney said morning is going to quite stand morning. the test of time morning. <laughs> and very quickly before I let you go Finney I found a photo of you and uh, the Queen and so you'd found out at this point you weren't going to play and you're obviously quite upset about this news but more depressing than that because you're meeting the Queen you had to get into full whites I see yeah, yeah, I had to fully white up. I, I looked like an absolute rooster there um, for the only time ever Let's in my life. Let's um, <laughs> have a look. You had to get fully into your whites, spikes and all, otherwise I'll be angry, knowing full well that you were going to have to take them off in a few moments' time and, and, and go and sit back oh, down for another five young. days. Oh. There oh. he is, adorable. We'll put this photo up on social media. Um, well, the Queen apparently talks of little else, Finney, other than the time she met you. It's still the highlight of her incredible 70 years on the throne. You'd be pleased to hear. Of course. Um, right. Well, I will let you both go and we'll chat next week when um, Daniel Norcross will probably have Darren Pattinson staying on his sofa. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll all catch up then. But uh, until next time, chaps, have a lovely well, week. Well, I, I, I can't wait. And, and this time next week, of course, we'll be talking about the end of, of the law test. It'll be the end of the Jubilee. It'll be the end of the test. We'd have gone through a lot of crisis. I mean, for those of you going to the Laws Test, by the way, the MCC has requested that we all wear red, white, and blue in some way. The, uh, the, the, the press box is going to be draped, apparently, in a gigantic Union Jack flag. Um, I've checked in with my producer uh, to see if, if I wear the Sex Pistols T-shirt, God Save the Queen, written on the front, if that's acceptable. Uh, it, it's... Going to a jury, we'll we'll see. Um, only time will tell. It's a very it's a very moving moment. They're very precious at the BBC. I went on uh, Richard Osman's House of Games and I wore a shirt with his face all yeah. over it. And um, the they had to go and like get permission from the Getty Images that I'd found for really? Google Images. Like they couldn't I couldn't couldn't just wear it. They insisted I change my shirt and then they had to go and pay for permission for the photo just so and I could you, go and on. You won. So that, I said I haven't bought you? another. You were shirt. very good. I won that. Was, I won oh, that. Won a I was cricket genuinely, genuinely right, proud chaps. of you. I was, I was genuinely uh, proud. Anyway, this, this time next very much. week, we'll all have gone through a lot of emotion. So uh, let, let's read Exactly. And I'm going to Liam Gallagher at Nebworth on Friday and then a stag do and go oh, away on shit. Saturday. So I'll be a little bit tender on Monday. You'll so have I'll even see you fewer then, teeth, I should imagine. <laughs>
<laughs> I'd imagine so. You might have the shits. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.